Ladies and gentlemen, for tonight's main event, we're going to witness the most anticipated discussion in the history of urban farming and podcast media. This is our main event. In this corner, we have the Texas Tornado from Dallas, Texas, Michael Bell. And in this corner, we have the Chilliwack Clubber from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Scott Hebert. From all four corners of the globe, from Australia to Alaska, from Russia to Chile, let's get ready for the Small Scale Life Podcast. Welcome to the Small Scale Life Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Dombers. Welcome to our main event. As always, we are bringing the heat and the high energy, and we're always ready to rock and roll. In this episode of the Small Scale Life Podcast, Michael Bell and Scott Hebert return to discuss urban farming advice and best practices. Topics discussed during this podcast include their farms, their markets, typical yields, watering crops, harvesting product, successfully marketing products, and potentially expanding their operations. For those of you who don't know who these gentlemen are, Scott Hebert owns and operates Flavorful Farms in Chilliwack, British Columbia. Michael Bell owns and operates Half Acre Farm in Dallas, Texas. Both have uniquely different operations, but they're facing some of the same issues. Both have been great guests here on Small Scale Life, and I'm thrilled to have them back on the show. If you're currently an urban farmer or considering starting a small business, you might want to grab a drink, a drinky drink, a pad of paper, and a writing utensil. There's a lot of good information and advice in this podcast. Michael and Scott have tried a lot of things, and they found out what does and what does not work in their farms and in their respective markets. Before we begin this episode, since we have a lot of new listeners here on Small Scale Life, Small Scale Life is about a little simple living, a little urban homesteading and gardening, and a, a lot, lot of, of adventures, adventures along the way. way. I've been approached by some of you who are wondering how you can support Small Scale Life. You can support our work by purchasing products from our affiliates. Yes, we do have some paying affiliates now, and we're going we're gonna to talk about those folks. So please uh, use their services and products. Today's episode has three sponsors. Our first sponsor is Website Cheetah. Do you have a service or a product you want to share with the world? You want the world to purchase. You need to have a website to promote your products and services. However, setting up the whole website thing and necessary infrastructure to support it can be overwhelming. Do you want to have a website that is built to produce results? Website Cheetah is a new service that has three different packages for you to start your own venture. With Website Cheetah, you'll have a site that is SSL compliant, has basic analytics, is mobile responsive, has a visual page editor and basic SEO that is fully secure. Can you do that all on your own successfully? I tried. It's not easy. Check out Website Cheetah and focus on selling your product or service today. Now, once you have that site in place, it's time to drive an audience to it. As a content creator, there's nothing more frustrating than sitting down, writing what I think is a great podcast or article, doing the recording, doing all the editing, posting it, and then getting little or no traffic consuming that content. We've all been there. 
What if you could get potentially thousands of people per month consuming your content? There is a way. Article Cheetah is a method and a process that helps target niche audiences that will be searching specifically for your content, for your article. When you publish articles using Article Cheetah and that optimize your SEO, Google will bring the traffic to you. I've taken a class given by Kevin Geary, who is the owner of Article Cheetah, about optimizing SEO. I know this process works. I know this product works. So check it out. Check out Article Cheetah and start driving traffic and customers to you today. And finally, our last sponsor is Sunsaver Greenhouses. This is a new sponsor here on Small Scale Life. Are you a gardener or urban farmer and looking for a sturdy yet affordable greenhouse solution? I'm in Minnesota, and I know a greenhouse would help extend my season in the spring and the fall. My friend Jonathan and his friends have started a company called Sunsaver Greenhouses that builds custom-sized greenhouses that are perfect for your backyard or urban farm. It's made out of reinforced steel and polypropylene plastic, and the plastic has a four-year guarantee. It's a simple, efficient, and sturdy design. Check out the website at Sunsaver Greenhouses, and if you're in Bozeman, Montana, contact them today. They're looking to test out a few of these greenhouses. So thank you to our sponsors. Make sure you check them out and buy their services. And you're supporting our show by spending your hard-earned money for those services. If you want more shows and content at Small Scale Life, please use the services of our affiliates and sponsors. That would mean a lot to us, and you will be supporting the show. All right. Now on to the main event. As I mentioned at the start of the show, if you're an urban farmer think, thinking about starting this kind of business or running your own small business, I think you can get something out of this podcast. Scott Hebert and Michael Bell have urban farming advice and best practices that can be useful for any small business. As part of this discussion, Michael Bell, Scott Hebert, and I provide some thoughts about a new type of urban farming and marketing recently discussed in Larry Hall's YouTube channel. Larry Hall created the Rain Gutter Grow System and the Grow Bag Garden Systems. And he's got some thoughts on starting a new urban farming trend and bringing that, those products to farmers markets. So you can watch the video at smallscalelife.com. It's right there for this podcast and article. And each of us had some comments, pros and cons about this kind of small business. And there are some logistical and price point questions that will need to be explored. As Michael Bell puts it, it hasn't been done like this before. So why not give it a try? Are you ready? Grab a drink, grab a drinky drink, a pad of paper, and a writing utensil. It's time for the podcast. Let's go. Welcome back to the Small Scale Life Podcast, everybody. I have a special treat for you tonight. In this corner, down in the deep heart of Texas, I've got the Texas Twister, Michael Bell from Dallas Half Acre Farms. Michael, are you there? Yes, sir. Awesome. And in this corner... I've got, it's Chilliwack Canada's finest, Scott Hebert from Flavorful Farms. Scott, are you there? I'm here. Awesome. And I am your lovely host, Tom, tonight. We are on Small Scale Life Blood Sports. No, I'm just kidding. We thought it would be great to bring everybody together. Michael has some questions. I'm sure Scott has some questions about what Michael's doing, what's working, what's not. And we thought it'd be a great opportunity to bring people together and just talk about farming, you know, and doing this urban farming, urban gardening, urban, you know, marketing thing, and how's it working, what's working for everybody, and maybe share some knowledge and get, maybe inspire you to give this a try. So as for me, I have two small, simple gardens. I'm not selling anything uh, from my garden yet, but it's always good to have you two guys on. You guys are top performers on Small Scale Life 
any day of the week. And I am so thrilled that you guys are here to talk a little bit about, give us a little bit of your knowledge and inspire us to do a little better, do a little more and, and maybe try something new. So welcome to the show, gentlemen. Um, I thought it would be great to start, uh, just because we have so many people new to the Small Scale Life podcast, and you both have been great guests on our show. Why don't, Michael, you start first, a Texas twister, talk about Dallas Half Acre Farms, and then we'll have Scott introduce himself and his farm, and, and then we'll just go from there. Okay. I have a half acre farm in Dallas, Texas. It's actually exactly 20,000 square feet, uh, which I'm farming about 16,000 of it. 4,000 of it's not usable for various reasons. Um, I do, I guess my business model would be closest related to a CSA type, whereas, um, I sell baskets of, of fresh veggies that I pick pretty much daily right now and sell to a list of customers that I've, um, that I've gotten over the last two years of doing this. And, um, I love it. Hopefully I can, uh, do what Scott did, you know, and quit my full-time teaching job, farm full-time in the next year or two once I get this down to a, you know, exact science and learn the ins and outs and the details that only experience can teach you. Very cool. I'm uh, Scott Hebert. I'm from Chilliwack, BC. I started my farm two years ago, and I worked a full-time job, but recently this past year, I um, actually got to go full-time. So I'm selling primarily uh, lettuce and spinach to grocery stores and... Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I've been on the Small Scale Life a couple times, so if you want to check out those episodes, go ahead. It's got my whole backstory on there. Yeah, right. And I will have the uh, the links to the Bellcasts and the Scott Hebert specials um, in the show notes. So, guys, I'm so I'm I'm just excited that you're part of the show and and that you're on again. So. Yeah, so we've got two-year-old farms. One is selling, you know, to local folks, uh, vegans especially, right, Michael? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just a niche that I found. You know, Dallas, Fort Worth area is about three million people. I tell people a lot of times, I only need a hundred people. Yeah, like, I only need to sell to a hundred people. So I thought, you know, what's the easiest way to get in with a hundred people? So I use social media. One night laying in bed at like midnight and I tapped in Dallas Vegan and my whole business model completely changed because there was, I don't know, 4,000 posts from Dallas Vegan in one or D, yeah, Dallas Vegan in one day. That's, and that's crazy. <laughs> off it went. Yeah. And I tell you what, there's nobody that's any more um, proud of what they do than vegans. Yes, that's true. That's true. Now, you, Scott, you've got a different market. You said you service uh, restaurants. I know that you tried a couple models. You were following – both of you are following the Curtis Stone footsteps. You tried to go kind of replicate what Curtis was doing, and then you, you broke and went to grocery stores. Can you talk a little bit about that journey? I know you've talked about it before. <laughs> yeah, um, I was – I started selling two years ago to a farmer's market and to restaurants, and um, – yeah, I was still working a full-time job, though, so it just took a lot of time to manage everything. And then I thought that I should probably just focus on one revenue stream, and I ended up selling, starting to sell the grocery stores last season. And uh, I'm just going to continue on with that this season. That's really cool. That's awesome. And grocery store business is booming, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's really it's going really well. Great. Just remind everybody, how did you discover the grocery? You went in there with some product, and you started talking to managers, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I just walked in, started yeah. talking to them, gave yeah. them samples. 
Very cool. And that's is that easier than chefs? I know that uh, Michael, you've been trying to get a couple chef, uh, a couple restaurants on board. Um, did you find that was easier than working with chefs? Me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know what? Any type of I don't think that a revenue stream is necessarily easier than one other revenue stream. I think that you um, develop good relationships with people and. Uh some people are easier to deal with. So right now the grocery stores that I have to deal with are very easy, but I could see some grocery stores being really high maintenance. Um, You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I have, I'm just in search of good business relationships. Like some of the restaurants that I had were really, really, really high maintenance. And it was just like, it was just too much work for what I was getting out of it. So it didn't seem economical to do long-term, but then the grocery store thing around here, um, everybody's really friendly. They pay on time. I get direct deposited. Um, they take a big volume, give me a good price. So it just kind of seems to be the ideal situation. But I mean, that's going to be a different context for everyone where they are with what they're doing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I would think so. What do you think, Michael? Um, yeah, business relations. That's the key. You know, that's the biggest thing I've learned, um, so far. Is it, it's just like Scott said. It's all about building relations. Um, it doesn't matter if you're selling to a mom, fam, you know, a family of four whose mom's the you know the cook, or if you're selling to a grocery store or, or chef. It's it's just building that relationship. That's that's a hundred percent true. And I think that's an any business that you do, whether you you sell you know fresh veggies or you know shingles or tires or you know, whatever. <laughs> it's just being a people person and and being a good manager of your business. Yeah, that's, yeah, I agree. Yep, I would agree as well. Just been with my background in engineering services and trying to sell those, and you know, <laughs> it's it is definitely every sales is relationships, right? Everything is relationships. I think I think a lot goes back to it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm. Um, I've I've got a couple of uh, you know a couple of small restaurants that are extremely old in the Dallas area, and I actually talked to a guy last week who's best friends with the owner's daughter or some, I don't know how, how it all works out, but he's like, I I talk to him all the time. Let me run it by him and see what he thinks. If maybe something like your salad mix, he might be interested in. And I said, okay, you know, I'm not promising anything because I don't know if I can do the volume. I have no idea how much he uses, but I'd love to talk to him. And it was all based on just talking, you know, just talking to people and, and, do you know and stuff definitely definitely now you both any more questions about the marketing side before we kind of jump i mean jump to some things i want to talk about <laughs> but, I, I got i got one question yeah. for scott real quick your grocery stores that you sell to you know i, I know canada and the you know, u.s is, is different in a lot of ways are they family owned like mom and pop store grocery stores because see, we don't have those especially in the dallas area we have kroger tom Thumb, albertson's and walmart so there's no way I could ever get into any of those. And I'm curious what kind of grocery stores you're selling to. Yeah, they're smaller locally owned stores for sure. Um, they're owned by local families. Uh, there's um, – I've heard like other people from the states talk about health food stores and it kind of seems like that – that some areas of the states call them health food stores for some reason, like a little local grocer. I don't like – it just, I don't know, the way they're describing it, I'm like, that sounds exactly like what I'm selling in. But, okay. like, it, it's just like, like, um, my one store is actually pretty big. My other store that I'm selling to right now is, is, it's pretty small. But yeah, they're definitely, um, family owned local businesses. Okay. I was curious about that. Is there, as far as like the Canadian, 
regulations go, I have no idea how y'all have it. I know for me to sell to a grocery store, the amount of red tape paperwork BS that I would have to do, I don't even think it's worth my time, to be honest with you. And I was just curious if y'all had, you know, if you had anything other than a handshake agreement with the guy or if you had to prove you had insurance or prove if you had, you know, LLC or, you know, all that crap. Um, so the bigger stores that you're going to go into, the more red tape you're going to have to go through to prove to them that your product is safe. So I've talked to a couple of different bigger stores that were like more corporate owned instead of family owned. And they want right. to make sure you have all your, um, I don't know what you guys call it. there, like H double ACP or whatever the hazardous area control points, things like it's all like food safe stuff. They want to make sure you have all that, all your food safety certificates and things like that. Like they have like a, they'll have like a list that you have to like check off. Right. Um, but no, my local stores have never asked me for anything. about Nothing. They're just happy to support local farmers. Yeah. Yeah. So it's cool. Um, as far as, as far as, um, vegetables grown in soil, uh, according to the British Columbia health regulations are considered low risk and there's no there's no private um, or there's no government sections that are allotted to enforcing anything in the vegetable area. So for things like chicken and dairy and eggs, poultry, dairy and eggs, there's like there's like little subsections where there's like we have like these things called marketing boards. So there's like a dairy marketing board, a chicken marketing board and an egg marketing board. And like if you're going to be selling those things, you have to go through those channels. But as far as vegetable goes, there's nothing. So it's kind of it's a little bit like the Wild West, but you definitely have to make sure you have all like it's just the regular food safety kind of things that you should have. Right. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious. About yeah, I think um, that for I think that for um that like that's what i mean everything is all about context because like the grocery store thing works for me here right now but if i went somewhere else it might not necessarily work right like that might not be the right answer but for here right now with how my farm is set up it, it seems like it is uh, that's cool i was just wondering about that for a long time yeah very cool very cool any other questions about the how to or any more statements about how to market or different ideas before we jump into some other areas no i think uh i'll go first i I think that um you have to start doing something and then that thing is probably not going to work out Mm. like if you're going to start a farm or whatever you start doing something and then that whatever idea you had like your first idea is probably not going to be the one that hits it but you can adjust and go from there and i think that's kind of how you figure out like it's not like when i first started my farm that i was thinking like oh i'm going to be selling lettuce and spinach to grocery stores but now that's kind of where i've got to because of I've just been angling for position. Yeah, that's true. I mean, when, um, and you can listen to Scott's journey, he did a whole year of podcasting with Drew Sample in the Sample Hour, and he talked about all these ideas and how to do it and where you, what you were going to do, and then things just totally changed. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it's, it's that old saying, um, you have the battle plan until you meet the enemy in the field. Not that your customers or anyone is an enemy, but, you know, you have that plan until you, you actually like you said, get involved and then uh, things change. So you have to go with the flow. How about you, Michael? Scott's exactly right. Your plans will change. Um, my Actually, my plan hasn't changed to how I, what I want to sell. Now, how I sell it has completely changed. But there's definitely you definitely learn as you go and, and you, you kind of wind your way through the muck to figure out what your end. You know, I'm still winding my way. Every day I think of something new that I want to try and do and and I give it a shot and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work but you know you still wake up the next day and at the end of the day you're still just putting a seed in the ground and growing food and 
I know down here, and I've said many times on your podcast, I sell everything that I grow. Yep. So I think people, I know people here in Dallas are literally starving for good, high quality food. Like I want to tell Scott, move here, let's yeah. put together, and we'll be, you know, we'll make more money than than probably any two farmers in the world ever have because he can obviously <laughs> grow it, and I promise you, I can sell it. <laughs> That's funny. That is good. He tried to, you know, he tried to get me down there to do some work for him too. So I'm, I'm <laughs> like this out about compound. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you spent a week down here and, and saw my saw my texts and my emails and posts that I get from people, you would you would understand my excitement for for the demand that I have down here for this stuff. It is ridiculous. Oh, I believe it. I yeah, I get jealous of uh, people like. Well, people have a good market, and their job is like take advantage of it, please, yeah. please take advantage of it. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm I'm, I'm trying to. Yeah, no. Totally, you're doing well. Yeah, yeah, that's and it's great. It's so exciting that uh, you know both of you are are doing well. I mean, meeting your needs or meeting your expectations. I know there's always a desire to do better and and to make more money and all that good stuff. And it, it seems like you both have momentum, which is so great. And I will say, Michael, we are going to be coming down to Texas a little more in the future as my brother-in-law and sister-in-law are moving down to the Austin area. They landed some jobs and they sold their house here, so they'll be down in Texas. Scott, I don't know about getting up to your neck of the woods. I can't find any of my family members to move up to your neck of the woods, so that might be a little <laughs> more challenging. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I mean, you do live in a beautiful area, though. I know Texas is hot, dry, and dusty, so... Um, which, which, which June, July, August. Yes, yes. Which brings me to an interesting question, I think. I know, Scott, uh, you've been really doing a lot on your vlog about irrigation systems. You just put in a new irrigation system. I'd love you to talk about that because Michael is on the other flip side. He's kind of doing off-grid, trying to come up with creative stuff because he doesn't have a well, and he's kind of uh, he's got he's got to be creative with his watering system. So talk a little bit about your watering system up there. Uh, I've just started to use an overhead irrigation system, so I got these wobbler heads, sprinkler heads, and then I run a. I have lines with three heads on them for a fifty foot bed, and then I just have my hose with a cam lock on the end, so it, I just uh, clip it in to whatever line I want to run, and then turn on the hose. And boom, done. Nice. What was wrong with the previous system you had set up there? Um, I went to an irrigation store and they sold me this one with Rainbird head sprinklers, and there was dry patches in it so my stuff was not watering evenly and if it doesn't get watered evenly then you don't have even production and if you don't have even production then you can't predict what's going to come out evenly you don't have consistent production and so that makes it really hard to um, time everything properly for the grocery stores and so um, I had to get all that figured out mm. for consistency of product I got it definitely yes. Now, Michael, you got a different situation down there in Texas. You are running off grid pretty much. Uh, you want to talk about your setup? Yeah, uh, actually, it was a very exciting week as far as irrigation goes because I finally got a solar unit set up. I got the panels hooked up after two weeks trying to find the connector. I have 200 watt solar panels, and then I have a, I don't know what it's called. It's a solar unit all built in the inverter, the battery. Everything's in one box. You plug the panels into the back of the box. You plug your extension cord into the front of the box, and you go. Hmm. And I couldn't find and, – and actually, the unit is from Canada. And the solar panels are from the U.S., so I had to find an adapter huh. to make them fit. I finally found one, hooked it up. It charged the whole thing in 
in four hours. Uh, took it to the farm Thursday, walked for three minutes. It took out 10% of my battery, and that was it. So um, it's, it's going to work out great. I water from uh, uh, right now, I'm 3,275. Hey, hey, Michael. You're um, Michael. You're Mike. Michael. You're breaking yeah. up a little bit there. So, stop moving your head. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So uh, you got you got a solar panel system set up with an inverter. Um, you've got batteries. What are you? What are you? You're hooking up to pumps with uh, with your big totes or your your big uh, yep. cisterns down yep. there? Okay. Yep. I, I bought a one tenth horsepower, sixty dollar uh, water pump, water transfer pump. And um, I, I watered from that. I did it Thursday for the first time. I watered for 10 minutes, uh, about 20 minutes. Um, and it, it worked perfect. I couldn't ask for it to work any better. Really, the only thing I water is my lettuce, okay. my salad mix. Hmm. Uh, everything else, I, I've, I chalk it up to really good soil. I don't have to water a whole lot. I use wood chips around my tomatoes and peppers and stuff, and it just holds in the moisture so well. Really? You don't have to water your peppers and your tomatoes that much down there? Really? I haven't watered them since I put them in the ground three weeks ago. I mean, we've had a rain. We've had a couple of little showers that I'm sure has helped, but it's astonishing how much those wood chips keep the moisture in the ground. Huh. Interesting. I mean, no wind hits it, no sun hits it, so, I mean, it really doesn't have anywhere to go unless the plant uses it up. Gotcha. So, I mean, I will I will have to water, and when I do water, I have everything set up in rows with PVC pipe cut with holes in it so I can do kind of like a drip irrigation type system with my water pump, and okay. it'll just drip right onto the, you know, at the base of the plant. Huh. Okay. So more like a nursery would set up their PVC with a drip, kind of a drip coming out of the PVC then, I see. Huh. What kind of how big was the hole in your PVC? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, you're breaking up for a second there, buddy. Here, hang on, let me go. There you let, go. Me, let me move up the hill here. There Can you, you go. Can you hear me better now? Yeah, that's much better. We didn't catch any of okay. that. So I, I said I just used a one eighth drill bit. Oh, okay, gotcha. Interesting. So completely different setups um, for different parts of the urban farming techniques here. So it's kind of funny because I have. Um, you know, just a small little sprinkler head <laughs> that I'm using on these four by six beds. So it's not even close to being as sophisticated to what you guys have. But you guys have obviously more more area that you're watering. Um, and I find it's really interesting that you don't have to water your peppers and your tomatoes. Hmm, that's crazy. I, I would have figured that was an everyday operation down there. No, I'm, I'm going to do an Instagram video the next couple of weeks with, with with me showing how dry, how how moist the ground is with the wood chips underneath it gotcha good that'd be great i'll be looking for that uh both of you are using um landscape fabric and burning holes in there correct to plant your salad mix nope nope i don't use any landscape fabric anymore oh you don't okay no when did when did you make that change uh this year okay yeah it got to be too much um the landscape fabric i had it just got to be too much maintenance to do um it just created more work than it that it saved and now that i have time to be cultivating uh, my plot i just cultivate it okay it's not a big deal and you haven't had uh weed pressure yet or anything like that uh no i've chosen to do a size of the plot that i can maintain okay good michael you're using landscape fabric i know that 
Yeah, and actually, um, yesterday I decided to double down, and I'm going to spend a couple hundred bucks and buy a lot more landscape fabric, and I'm going to landscape fabric my entire farm. The walkways, everything. Hmm. I'm so done with weeds and grass. Yeah. I think uh, I think there's an application for it. I think my I think my um, my farm is too wet to do it. I get stuff growing right on top of the landscape fabric, oh. and because my whole plot is high rotation, uh, I'm I gotta pull it off, put it back on, and just it just becomes too much work. But like with Michael on another job and stuff, um, he needs to do every passive technique that he can to keep that thing low maintenance. Right, right. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I was having this conversation this weekend. I mean, weeding and watering. I think are two big time sucks that you're not really, you know, you're not getting any return on, right? So um, if you can figure out a way to, to automate that and make it easy, there you go. So, well, that's great. Huh. Um, Michael, did you have some more questions for, for Scott or Scott questions for Michael? Um, yeah, I had, I had one about a salad. I mean, cause mainly he's, he's, a, he's a, you know, salad guy. What all do you, what all do you do in your salad? Like, you said you sell lettuce, or do you sell salad to the grocery stores? Uh, what's the difference? I sell Salanova. Okay, because see, and I, this may be cultural or just whatever. Salad mix down here is a mixture of things. So, I, so what I call a salad mix is lettuce, spinach, beet greens, uh, red Russian kale, mizuna. Like it can be a combination of all of that, but there's no way I could I could sell salad as just Salanova. Yeah, um, that is just everybody is different and whatever they call it. Like, so I call mine spring mix, and it will be lettuce. But then there's another local guy, and he calls his spring mix is like everything that's not lettuce. It's just all his like baby leaf greens like that. So um, I think that as long as the customers are responding to it and they like your stuff, I don't think it matters so much um, what technical name you're actually going to call it but yeah no my my salad mix is just lettuce i'm doing bags of just salanova lettuce wow hmm. are, you, are you doing a, are you doing a, a combination of all of them like what are your favorite salanovas because i'll tell you here in texas there's certain ones that just suck <laughs> yeah i, I, I do uh, again yeah i think that i think that's going to be pretty regular wherever you are i like the green sweet crisp um, it grows really fast, and then I mix it in with um, the red butter, the green butter, and the red sweet crisp. But I also had some older ones this year, like from a couple of years ago. So I've been using those seeds as well. So I'll, I'm kind of experimenting to see how they'll do. But yeah, probably mostly like I would say 75% green sweet crisp, and then 25% red butter, 25% green butter, and 25%. Oh, that's that doesn't that doesn't add up. Like, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I don't do math. However, I just grow. 70, 75% green sweet crisp, 25% of red butter, green butter, and red sweet crisp, whatever that ends up being. I just mix right. them all into one container and plant them out. Got you. See that that's that's really really interesting because there's there's no way I could ever get away with doing that here. I wish. I mean, uh, it, do you see yourself moving into like red Russian kale and you know maybe some other type of greens in the future, or do you like the sweet spot you're in? Um, so I will grow whatever sells pretty much, but like I've been trying to grow arugula, but I, I just get such big uh, flea beetle pressure here during this especially during the summertime that um i can't do it so i've seen connor crickmore never sink farms grows his inside of a hoop house so i think because then you're 
a hoop house with netting all over it to get rid of the flea beetles. So I think that if I had um, a physical barrier like that, that I could move into arugula production and have really good, I could make a lot of money selling arugula, uh, especially to, at my revenue streams that I'm already at. But currently, currently, um, I just want to come in and, and kill it with the lettuce and the spinach, especially too, since you have to be timing for consistent production, right? You want to have consistent production. Like you just want to show up and have the grocery store guys love you because you show up on time with what you say you're going to have. So if I, I tell them that I'm going to have like six different things and I show up with two, like why would I do that when I can just say I'm going to show up with two things and show up with that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. I see down here. I can't sell arugula to save my life. Oh no. People here, like people here love it. I had flea beetle arugula and I put it in bags and sold it at the grocery store and people still bought it. Really? Oh, yeah, people still bought it and messaged me. Like, random strangers messaged me on Instagram with pictures to tell me how good my arugula was that they bought at the store with holes in it. <laughs> hey, that's a special arugula. It's called the Swiss cheese arugula. Yeah, buckshot. It's buckshot arugula. Buckshot arugula. I like that. Yeah. Hey, that, yeah, you so. know, Michael, that might work down in your neck of the woods. Yeah, I got some buckshot uh, arugula. It tastes pretty good. Pretty darn good. I'm, Bigger and better than I'm going to tell him I got the seed from, from Canada. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> that's funny. Canadian seed. <laughs> oh, my God, that's funny. Oh, man. Cool. So um, talked about watering, talked about some of the other plants. How about um, any other questions or comments before I jump into the next topic that I'm just thinking on the top of my head? No, go ahead, Tom. Soil. Soil and soil amendments. I know Michael's really raved about his soil down there. Um, I know you, uh, Scott, you got some, you got compost delivered earlier this year. Can you guys talk about your soil and soil amendments that you're using as you as you work through the year? What, what are you guys doing to improve the soil and, and, and improve your production? I'll, I'll go ahead and go. Um, so my biggest thing, you know, I've, I've listened to, obviously, me and you, Tom, have talked a lot about Gabe Brown and, yep. and people that do cover crops and all of that. And when you, and I really thought a lot because I'd like to do it more just to learn you know learn about it but with having such a small farm and with demand as high as it is i don't want to waste the space to do it so i kind of got into uh singing frogs farm the way they do soil health because they're huge you know they're, they're real big believers on soil health and so one of the main things that i do that's easy to do is i always leave a root in the ground like just today this morning I went over and cropped out two uh, 25-foot beds of Salanova. And, and Scott's probably going to laugh because he grows Salanova, so he knows how big of a pain in the butt this probably was. But instead of me pulling it up, I cut it off at the ground and left the root in the ground. It took me maybe 30 minutes. It wasn't that big of a deal, but I left the root in the ground, and then I was going to plant okra right back on, you know, right back pretty much right next to the root, and then... I did it last year and it worked really well. <clears throat> so I also do no-till. Look, I don't even own a tiller. So those are the two things that I that I do personally to keep my soil healthy uh, is no-till and try to leave a root in the ground as much as possible. And then the only amendment that I've added so far, and I'm probably going to change this in the fall, is worm castings to my transplant holes, like to my bigger plants, like my tomatoes, pretty much anything except salad mix when i transplant something in there i put two tablespoons of really high quality warm castings um into the hole and then just plant my 
transplant right on top of the worm castings, cover it up, give it a good water, and I'm off. Yeah, for me, I um, I load up my stuff with compost and put in a fertilizer every time I'm going to change the beds. Uh, and that's pretty much my whole thing for what I'm doing. I'm going to be – I tilled at the beginning of the year, but I'm going to be going to hopefully mostly no-till. But I think I need to get more compost to, to really make my beds super productive. Um, I'm, still, I'm still undecided on um, if I'm going to be farming – the beds that I have right now, how long I'm going to do, how long I'm going to be farming that actual location because I can move farther back on my property. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I've kind of changed my mind on what I do like all the time, honestly. Right, because there was a video on your vlog earlier uh, this season where you talked about that five acres that was pretty much meadow right now and you're going to, you're thinking about moving down to that area, but I don't think you have, correct? Correct. Okay. What kind of compost are you using? Are you using like uh, turkey manure, like like uh, uh, Curtis, or are you finding something else uh, for compost? Yep. Well, compost is not manure, right? Right, right, right. Um, manure. Well, like- it can be manure based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's like decaying organic matter. Yep. Um, so. No, I just um, there's like a local compost place, and uh, I just get this call like a compost amender. Okay. Uh, so it's like twenty five dollars a yard. Oh. So I get uh, whatever I get. A 16 yard dump truck because that's the biggest they have just dumped one time at my house and then I just amend that onto the beds and then I, ha- I use a 444 guy it's called 444 guy green um, fertilizer it's just got all uh, natural or it's like an organic certified fertilizer but it's only 444 so it's not like it's not super um, rich in anything right. so like pretty much put as much on that as you want and sure. you're not going to wreck anything but I just dust a little bit the bed before uh, just topping up with nutrients and stuff. And then the compost in there is uh, good enough. I've had really good production. Any thoughts about that, Michael? Would that be something you'd be interested in doing, or what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to add compost in the fall. Uh, I, I've been, you know, like I said, I was really lucky to have per- what I classify as perfect soil when I, when I bought the place because it hadn't been touched in 10 years. So all I did was grow six-foot Johnson grass, die, decompose, and do it all over again. So my organic matter was really high. One reason why I don't think I have to water a whole lot is because that matter is so high. But I've farmed um, nine or ten 50-foot beds now four seasons in a row. This will be my fourth season. And a lot of it was only salad, so, of course, salad doesn't you know suck up too many nutrients. But in the fall, I'm going to add in quite a bit of compost i've got a couple different places i'm probably going to buy from two different places and see if one does better than the other so i'll know for the future but yeah that's definitely something I'd, that i'll be doing also pretty much the exact same way very cool very cool guys do you have any questions for each other uh, or about how things are going or what are your future plans michael are you gonna like if you so let's say you're able to go full-time working for yourself um are you gonna keep doing like the person-to-person sales or are you gonna go to a farmer's market or what are you gonna do no, I'll do I'll do person to person. Like I, I, I said it several times. I, I've got I literally have a list of people that I can send a tech, you know, a 50, 60 person list that I can send a text to. And the ones that are on the bottom of the list completely understand because I tell them up front. You know, I do it by order of the longest customers that I've had, and I take care of them first. And then as it trickles down, you know, I'll get to you, and they're completely cool with it. Um, I have a I have a, I've made a couple of really good friends here that are Dallas farmers. One of them works for a nonprofit, uh, feeds the homeless through the Texas State Fair program. That's a really good guy. Lo- I mean, he's like me and you, Scott. Just lo- and, and Tom also just loves this stuff. 
And so we're we're kind of kicking around the idea of going in together and building a website with like a shopping cart. And he he grows his own stuff. I grow my own stuff. Put it on the website. People can go in and basically shop for what they want. And then we deliver on Tuesdays and Fridays. And because he grows stuff that I don't even like eggplant. Like I don't know how to grow egg. I don't even know what eggplant looks like to be honest with you. That's funny. And, yeah, yeah so, so, so we complement <laughs> each other on what we what we can grow and what we want to grow, and it kind of be a one stop shop for for people. And the people I've talked to love the idea because you can go in and pick, you know, I want four bags of salad and make your own grocery list there. So that that's an idea that I have that I think could be really big if we could get one or two more farmers to go in on it and um, really give a big uh, selection of items. I think that could be something that would really be cool in the future to, to you know do with some people. That's Definitely, that's cool. Yeah, that's a really cool idea. But no, I don't ever, I don't ever want to do a farmer's market. To be honest with you, why not? T- time. It, it all boils down to time. Um, and I don't know. Maybe I'm a little spoiled with the way I have my business model set up now. But I've never had anything go to waste. Like I don't have to worry about coming. If if the farmer market rains out, I have all this that I have to move within 24, 48 hours, or else it's going to go bad. I literally get an order the night before right now. I go to the farm the next morning, I pick it, and they come and pick it up. Mm-hmm. So That's I never cool. have food spoilage or anything. And my salaries are too valuable. You know, I've got three kids and a wife, and, you know, I, I don't want to be at a farmer's market for – Yeah, we're, you're breaking up a little bit. but You're breaking up a little, a little bit. But I think we got I think we got the gist is it's a time thing. You know, the, the farmer's market's a time thing. And, and, Scott, maybe you want to talk a little bit about your expansion plans, if you have them, uh, about farmer's markets a little bit, and then we can dovetail into some of the other things that, uh, that were kind of floating around in our uh, people that were providing some comments or questions for us to, to talk about. So – you want to do that, Scott? Yeah, sure. I don't. Right now, I'm just focused on um, just doing the best job I can at the grocery stores that I have right now, and um, I'm just not trying to not get too far ahead of myself right now with that. So I'm just trying to do the best job I can, and then I'm going to kind of see where I end up at the end of the year before I decide what I'm going to do in the future. Very good. And are you going to go back to farmers markets anytime in the future? Uh, possibly. Possibly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I. I mean, I'm open to. I'm open to anything being the right answer. Hmm. Hmm. Um, yeah, so possibly if it was a good fit, I would, if I thought I could make money, I would. Um, but right now I would like to try to maximize the amount that I'm selling to the grocery stores. Absolutely. No, it's, it's making money for you. They're paying checks are clearing that, you know, maximize that. (laughs) That sounds like a great strategy to me, you know? Yeah. It's great. We're talking about farmers markets. Larry Hall from the growbaygardensystems.com. Uh, he, he was... He's been trying to inspire people that are following his method of gardening to get into some farmers markets to get it to start start selling some of this extra produce they've got. And he was talking about bringing live plants into farmers markets in grow bags, and you know, talking about that and thought that might be a good niche because people don't have that. They have their cooler full of salad mix or their their cool bot fueled trailer full of salad mix that you know maybe was picked this morning maybe picked last night and instead you could buy a live plant now you guys have some experience in this realm in this market and what do you think about that kind of a concept i'm back by the way i don't know if anyone knew i was back <laughs> yeah i know no. i i figured you were i was kind of hearing you back there <laughs> okay cool sorry about that guys um yeah um uh i think that there's definitely some pros and cons to it I don't think it could ever be a full-fledged business 
I, I don't think you could ever grow enough bags and haul enough bags and everything to, to make a serious amount of money off of it. But if you love to do it, and you know that's going to be extra spending money for you to spend on your garden every season, then I think it's you know go for it because you're not going to have a whole lot of money invested in it. And I'm all for stuff, you know, businesses that you don't have to have a lot of startup cost to get started in uh, I, I definitely think people would buy would, would buy some you know you might sell two or three bags a weekend at a market i don't know if that covers your cost or not but i can definitely see i know my my vegans in dallas are vain enough about their food that they would buy that a few of them a few of them yeah well and, and the beauty is you don't have to you know you can water the pan that it sits in and then it just wicks it up and away you go you don't have to you know it's kind of a fire and forget thing so to speak that's the concept anyway what do you think scott you've done farmers markets you've been there you've done that you've you've been in the trenches what do you think about that concept I think there's a lot of problems with it. I don't think people are going to the farmer's market to buy a live plant. I think that, um, like, logically, uh, like, when you talk out the idea that it makes sense, but I think that in reality that uh, it would not execute. Um, mm-hmm. I just, like, even just, even the, on the video that I watched, he said, like, that, uh, you know, if someone cuts lettuce that you pick it, it goes bad in three days, but that's not true. Like, my local lettuce lasts for three weeks because I'm picking it and putting it in a cooler. And all those people have to do is take that bag and put it in their fridge and it stays good for three weeks. They don't have to bring, haul, like, schlep uh, a pot home from the farmer's market, carry it home, take care of it, water it. Like, my lettuce is so much more low-maintenance than that. It's it's washed, they open the bag, they put it in a bowl, and they eat it, and it's delicious. Um, so I just, I don't know, I think, I think that would, I think that would be an uphill battle. I would have to, I would, I don't know, I'd want to see somebody successfully doing it before I tried that. Hmm. I see. Michael kind of touched on that there for a second, too. You know, volume, you know, could you get enough volume to pay for the table, to pay for your time? You know, you're going to have a whole trailer full of, of grow bags full of lettuce, Salanova perhaps, and can you sell enough of that volume to make to make enough to make that a go? You know, that's the whole yeah. thing. Plus, plus, you know, you'll have wet bags, wet soil, plants. Um, it could, you know, you hit a bump or hit a curve, it could get a little messy pretty quickly, I would think. Knowing my yeah, luck, and, that's the and way you gotta it pack works. That, you got to pack that all in the back of a truck or a trailer. Yep. Like, I can put, I can put, cardboard boxes full of bags of lettuce into my car and take it wherever I want to. And I can get like, like hundreds of pounds in my car at one time, but you could not get hundreds of plants in the back of a truck at one time because the surface area that they would take to take up in the back of a truck, you'd have to have them all stacked up. So now you have to get into a specialty truck type of thing Mm -hmm. or a truck and a trailer, which everything just costs money, right? Right, right. Yeah, you can do anything if you have enough money and you want to invest it in that that way, you know? Yeah, but spending (laughs) $200,000 to make $20,000 is not necessarily a good business plan. One other thing that I I don't know that we've talked about, well, I know we haven't talked about it, is, is the price point because I know those root bags aren't cheap. I actually have some that I used to use in my backyard before I bought my farm. And by the time you, you bought the root bags, you bought the soil, you put the plants in there. I mean, that's a lot of time. Again, mm-hmm. if you're doing it for fun, you know, whatever, that's cool. But you'd have to sell that root bag for 25 or 30 bucks. Oof. I mean, literally to, to make any money off of it at all. So I think the price point would be a big deal. I don't know too many people that's going to pay $25 for 
you know, a plant that's going to have three heads of lettuce in it. Yeah, like people already sell transplants at the farmer's market, and they do it at the beginning of the year, and that's it. Yeah, or mums at the very end before it gets cold, at least in the yeah. northern states. <clears throat> Maybe not in Texas. <laughs> No, we grow that shit year round. Yeah, right. yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, okay, well, that makes you know. I'm glad I talked about it with you guys and and uh, you know got your perspectives on it. I think that's uh, that'll help you know guide some discussions and and some thoughts and and what you guys are doing is doable. I mean, it's doable. You can do this. You know, you can take a yard, you can take some space, and you can start doing this on a small scale. You know, it's very doable. So I think that's the beauty of this method of of gardening and our farming, really. So, you know, Curtis and, and the other folks that started to develop it really came up with a good idea. Uh, but enough on my soapbox. Gentlemen, uh, other questions or comments for each other? I mean, I don't want to get in the way here. I was curious, Scott, um, and I don't, I don't know if you have an exact number, but do you have a number of plant or num- number of plants equal this many pounds for your salanova? Like yeah, twenty-five, four. So four heads equals one pound. Yeah, I get about a pound a foot, and I plant. Um, I plant. Uh, there's four plants in a foot. Right. Yeah. So is that, uh, yeah. Is that first cut. Yes. Second, second cut, cut would be second cut would so on a. Um, Okay, on a 25-foot bed, the first cut, I get 25 pounds. Second cut, I get 20. It goes down by about five pounds every time. Yeah, yeah, But I only do two cuts. I haven't had that much success on my third cut. Like, it's not worth it for me to have it in the ground at that point. I see. Yeah, I've noticed that, too. I've left it in there just to see, and my third cut hasn't been worth hasn't been worth the time. Um, one other thing I was going to ask you, and I'm sure there's a scientific name for it, but I call them green worms do you ever get worms in your in your salanova in your heads uh yeah so yeah i've had some like little caterpillars and worms and stuff for sure definitely and i guess for you they just get rinsed out when you wash them yeah yeah but i've definitely like when i first when i first sold bags i've definitely had like so for me um like sending out bugs in one of my bags of lettuce is like my biggest fear like it's like like one of my like it's my biggest fucking concern. I'm so worried about it. I'm so worried that someone's gonna have a terrible experience, open up their bag of lettuce and pull out a bug. Like that just like that terrifies me. Um and I know it's going to happen, but I try to do my best every single time I wash it to make sure that doesn't happen. Um the very first bag of lettuce that I that I packed up last year, I like put it in there and I measured out five ounces. And then, like, I sealed it up, and I looked in there, and there was a huge moth. Like, the very first bag, I'm not shitting you. So it was just, like, I was just, like, heart, like, my heart sunk (laughs) into the pit of my stomach. I was just, ugh. I was just, yeah, that is, like, my biggest concern. We actually, um, locally, there's a lot of corn growers around here. A lot of the dairy farmers put in corn. And uh, they've had this... um, I think it's called a corn boring weevil. They've had an infestation of it the past couple of years, and people didn't plant out the right type of corn. So, um, so last year in the fall, there was corn boring weevils everywhere, and so I wasn't so much worried about the both the worms and caterpillars at that point. Uh, I had to worry about all these corn boring weevils, and then like like I, I they were everywhere, like everywhere. I can't under like I can't under understate how many bugs there was, especially like near harvest time for the corn so yeah i mean that's always a concern 
I just have um, the greens bubbler and the dryer, and I just do my best, and I just really quality control those bags when I'm putting them out there. But right. I, I do think that generally, like I even said that to the girl, to one of my grocery store guys, I was like, that's like I told him this exact same rant. I was like, I was like that's my biggest fear is that having that, like someone having that experience with my product. And uh, he said, he's like, yeah, um, I don't think people would care. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> he, he's just like, he's like, it's local. They'll understand. I was like, yeah, oh. that, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. Like, I've, well, I've actually had people get ladybugs in mine and they think it's cute. So, yeah. um, lady, but ladybugs are cute, but like a half a slug is not. Yeah, a slug. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was gonna say a slug is disgusting. <laughs> yeah, those caterpillar yeah, no. worms are pretty damn gross. Yeah, I know it. It happens though, but like all the little folds of the salanova, um, yep. it's that's conducive to having stuff hiding in it. Oh, yeah. But yeah, no, I just try to be really anal with when I'm washing stuff and like just try to like do my best. And I think that's a really big reason why um it's good to have like a farm size that you can manage accurately because like last year. So I'm working another job, doing all this stuff, and I'm, like, burning out, right? And then, like, it's just hard. It's hard to keep caring when you're packing, like, your 300th bag of lettuce, right? But that's, like, the most important time to be doing it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just wash it oh, thoroughly. I haven't had that problem. I haven't ever done 300 bags of lettuce in one day, though. So Yeah, you, you will. Good problem to have, I guess. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, finding a half slug would be pretty bad because where did the other half go? Mm, it's on your fork and down your throat already. Ugh, so <laughs> never good, never good, gentlemen. So do you find the bubbler really does help uh, knock some of that stuff off and you can skim it off and, and get rid of those bugs and caterpillars and such? Yeah, yeah, it goes all the way to the bottom. But some of those bugs with their little exoskeletons and lean muscle masses are so light they just float up there. But definitely for bugs and big claws of dirt, it's uh, it's great. Gotcha. You don't have anything like that down south, do you, Michael? Uh, no, Scott's probably going to die when I say this. I don't wash my greens. I'm still alive. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't wash my greens. I pack, you know, I, I'm just like Scott. I take extra, extra caution in packing everything, you know, very careful when I pack stuff, when I harvest stuff, everything gets really looked over with a fine tooth comb. And then I just tell them, you know, just pull it out, give it a good rinse, but you know, before you, before you eat it and not, not one person's complained. Um, no, they, they, some yeah. believe it's, some believe it stays fresher longer. So I just let them go with that. Yeah. If it, it does, it's true. But, um, yeah, if I had a revenue stream where, um, I could not wash my vegetables. I would not wash them just yeah. because it's less labor. Like I'm spending most of my time all summer washing lettuce, washing and bagging lettuce. Like that's all I do. Like everybody's like, oh, it's sweet. You have a farm. And I'm like, dude, you don't even realize that all I do is stand there and wash lettuce and bag lettuce. Like wash, yeah. bag, put on a label, wash, bag, put on a label, wash, bag, put on a label for three months. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. That's my job. So, um, no, if I could not wash, I would definitely not wash. And um, I don't even sell my products as washed. But the problem is, is that if people get a bag of something at a grocery store, if it comes in a bag, they're assuming that it is pre-washed yep. and they can just yep. eat it right away. So I do my best to um, to keep it clean. Yeah, that makes All a lot right. of sense. Hey, um, makes a lot hey of Scott, sense. would you would – you, like you, you sound kind of, and I know you enjoy what you do and everything, but do you ever see yourself growing like tomatoes or something besides salad? Like I'm sure you could sell them to, to grocery stores with your salad if you wanted to, once you get everything, like, do you see yourself moving into something to make something more fun maybe than just salad mix? So you don't get quite as bored with it. Um, well I, so I'm growing tomatoes in my personal garden this year, right? 
So I get kind of the benefits of wanting to grow stuff like that, but I don't think that I necessarily have to do something commercially unless it's going to be um, viable. Like there's there's a sweet spot that in a in a small scale farm where one person can do where it starts to get like really super economical, right? Where you're right. where you don't necessarily have that high of a gross, but you have a really high net. So if yep. I got to like so if I got to like sixty thousand dollars, right? And I had I was getting like sixty or seventy percent on that though, so I'm making like forty thousand dollars, right? Let's just say let's just say that um, if I do something like where I'm going to be growing tomatoes and stuff, then I'm probably going to start like if I get into that like about a hundred thousand dollar range, I'm going to need to definitely hire one person, but probably two people, and then because of that extra labor involved that I have to pay out for, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to be making that much more money if I scale up my farm like that. So it gets to be this thing where. Um, you have to find the sweet spot what works for you in your context and i don't take my self worth out of growing something commercially like like i think it's fun to grow tomatoes and peppers and stuff and i have those i have them in my personal garden but um i don't need to like grow them on my farm to to get enjoyment out of that you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i, I completely get it it's funny because yeah. as you were as you were talking you sounded exactly like curtis sounds like on several of his videos that's funny. <laughs> exactly, exactly like what, what he what he would say, and I completely understand that sweet spot. I just didn't know if if maybe tomatoes would make your farming experience more enjoyable if you were. Yeah, um, I I have I actually I have a lot of fun growing what I'm growing right now. Like I feel like that I can. Get, I still feel like I have a lot of gains to make in my production and um, in my deliver uh, ability to deliver like a consistent quality product. Like, and once I get there, then I'm kind of ready to add on the next piece to that. You know what I'm saying? Um, like, yeah, I, I I I do have quite a lot of fun farming. I think I think sometimes I make it sound like maybe I don't, but <laughs> no, it, it's good. It comes through on your vlog. I mean, you know. And granted, we're all doing a little bit of showmanship when we do our activities, but it comes through on the vlog that you're having a good time and you're you are actually having some fun doing it. So, it, as, a, as a person who watches, I I see it, man. Thanks. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll second that too. It's it's, and I think that's one reason why I think you know if you keep vlogging and, and you stay you know stick with this whole thing you're doing now in two or three years, you're gonna be, you know, I, I think you'll have a huge YouTube presence because people. People just enjoy passionate people that are passionate about what they do, and I'll I'll be the first one to, to tell you people you talk just buy because you're so damn passionate about it. Like I know it's going to be good because that's all you talk about. Yeah, yeah. Gonna, well, it's, it's authentic. I hope you stick the whole vlogging thing and, and think in a couple of years. You know, you're going to have a really big. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I, when I was in high school, I thought I wanted to make videos um, like professionally. Like I thought I wanted to do that, and then. Um, you know how things work out i never ended up pursuing it and so then i started doing the vlog and i realized that i got to make like a movie every day and so i kind of feel like i'm coming like full circle back to that you know what i'm saying so it's like i get to do two things that i find fun because i'm just filming like what i'm doing on my farm so i'm like already having fun doing the stuff on my farm and then i also get to make a video on top of that so i like fulfill all the needs that i have of about like being creative and about being an artist, but I also am getting paid to do it um, in the sense that I'm making money from my farm. So I just kind of see them all like integrating really nicely. Like if I, if I 
had like I wouldn't want to grow tomatoes if I had to give that up and stop making a video hmm. right now, right. at least. You know what I mean? Where there's some other people that never would want to have a vlog. They would never want to do any podcast interviews. Um, and they would rather grow that tomatoes and make, you know, an extra $10,000, $20,000, whatever, doing that. Uh, that makes perfect sense. And, and it, it, it's good, you know, it's really good when you can combine the things that you love to do every day. And I, you, you're living my dream right now, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm living my dream. <laughs> no, I think that, I think that, um, I like, for, like, for me personally, I know what I want. And I would like to make $60,000. Uh, net working for myself in some capacity. So I don't care if if I get that sixty thousand dollars from farming, or if sixty or if forty thousand dollars comes from farming, and I have to make twenty thousand dollars somewhere else. Like I, that just kind of like you know what I mean. I'm kind of happy doing whatever works, and I mean my life is always in such flux and it changes, and you know. Um, you meet girls and you hang out with them, and then they have different plans. So you you know you adjust yours and. It's it's all part of the process. Yeah, I heard you say on this podcast really good a couple of weeks ago how you didn't care if you made sixty thousand for farming or forty ten and ten or where it yeah. came from, and I was like, and I thought, you know what, that's that's the first time I've heard that out loud, and, and it's kind of the way I am too because I've got different revenue streams coming in from a couple of different businesses that I do and such, and I was like, that's the perfect way to put it to my wife next time she asks me how much I'm making from farming. Well, totally. And like, um, yeah, th- like I get some, like, I definitely get a lot of, hmm, I would say people, I would say there's other farmers that are local to me that scoff at me because like, I'm not like for how much land I have and for what I have, I'm definitely not like running full tilt on growing every single vegetable and doing everything like that on my farm. Right. But like those other guys are taking their self worth out of like how many different types of vegetables they grow, and they think like that that makes them a better person because they can grow more vegetables, and like that you know what I mean? Like that makes if they grow more vegetables, that means they're a better farmer, and if they're a better farmer because that's their identity, that they're a better person. But like I don't necessarily think that. I think that I'm a good person that farms, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's so that that's it. a lot that's a lot different because when you're approaching it with like that mindset then I'm just trying to maximize my farm to work for my life. So that means a lot of different things. Like I don't necessarily need to be chasing doing four different farmers markets and growing every single type of vegetable. Like I can just focus on what's good for me and what's good for me right now. And like, you know, I would like to get married and have kids and all that. So when my life adjusts and goes into a different season, um, I would like, you know, my farm will change with me. Mm -hmm. It's well put. I like that. I was about to say. I was about to say the exact same thing, Tom. I was about to say very well said. Yeah, yeah. I think that's great, man. I think that's. Yeah, and you know, I look at people and my ancestors, and that's what they did too. They had several different income streams, and yeah, this one or that one or the other one wasn't a huge moneymaker. But you know what? They put them all together, and they made a good life for themselves. That wasn't a slow death in a cube farm. You know what I mean? So that's yeah, uh, totally. And like, I've been doing. I've been doing other things like. Um, so I've been I had a job at a golf course last last year and they uh, they wanted me to come back for like one day a week so I've been doing that I got a video editing job um, so that's like a couple hours a week that's just like extra money coming in right so I've got like and um, I've been selling some art recently so that's like two hundred fifty bucks a picture so it's like all these different aspects of revenue that is coming in so it's like 
if someone wants to see my farm and judge me because I'm just growing a couple of different crops and like my production isn't as good, like that doesn't that doesn't phase me. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm feeling like extremely fulfilled and content with like where I'm at and my work ethic. Like I feel like I've been putting in the work and that right now my whole life, like all these little bits and pieces. Like it feels like after and I'm sure you probably feel the same way, Michael, but like it feels like that after like two years of like spinning my wheels that I'm finally like gaining traction and I can see like everything is like picking up now. You know what I mean? Like every little piece is like it just feels like it's like building towards where I want to be. Like before it it just felt like, man, you're just sliding in the mud. <laughs> you can't get anything going. You're trying to do everything and nothing's working, but you just get more experience and um, it's working out. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that with that statement. Also, um, it's funny you said different revenues. We talk about revenue streams. Um, I think one and, and your revenue streams aren't the same as mine, as, you know, because I think all of my revenue streams in the next two or three years will come from the same group of a hundred people. Like um, I, I, I've gotten real big into Joel Salatin stuff about fiefdoms and. You know, it's easier to find a hundred people that will spend a thousand dollars with you than vice versa. And so I've been thinking, what can I add to the customers per se? And so I talked to my dad. So when I get out of school in a few weeks, I'm going to go spend a couple of days with him. And all we're going to do is cut firewood. He has a hundred acres, about 60 acres of it is nothing but woods. And he wants to clear it back to keep the wild hogs and, and everything at bay. And I said, dad, if I come up there and cut with you, you know, can I... Can I bring the wood back to Dallas, put it on my farm, dry out, and sell it this winter? He's like, I don't care. It gets it out of my hair. You know, everyone in my little hometown, you know, cuts firewood. You know, the, this is a country town, so it can't really sell it. But I can sell the crap out of it here in Dallas for pretty good money. So, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the firewood. Um, there's a guy that I'm going to wholesale. I'm going to buy a calf from and sell butcher it. And I'm going to pick up the price of it and sell the beef to the same customers I'm selling the uh, the vegetables to and the firewood to. So there's different things I'm trying to add to my repertoire, for lack of a better word, to sell to these people since I already got them. And they're going to need it anyway, so why not just buy it from me, you know? Yeah, no, totally. That makes a lot of sense, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. That's really good, gentlemen. Well, guys, we've hit about an hour, and uh, I know that some of you might have to, to drop off. Um, is there anything that you want to close with? Do you guys want to go a little further? Um, it's up to you guys. Yeah, I'm going to have to hop off here in a couple minutes. I got school. I got gym at 4 a.m. in the morning and then school all day, and these kids are getting so bad with it being the end of the year. i got to have all the patience I can get. <laughs> but... Uh, I'd, I really enjoy visiting with uh, both you and you and Scott both. Me and Scott talk quite a bit on Instagram here and there and, you know, pass stuff off. And I really enjoy the friendships we've made on, you know, on IG and various places. But uh, I did have one more question. How good of friends are you and Curtis? Just out of curiosity. I would say we have, like, a, uh, a working relationship. But, like, like I wouldn't um, – yeah, not really, like, that good of friends. But I was like, just curious if you know if, if y'all's friendship if, if y'all evolved in like a friendship, or or if it's just kind of still pretty much business. Uh, no, I would say that I would say that we have a friendship, but it's definitely based in business. So, so for the past two years, man, I've been working my tail off. I've said no to like everything, to doing everything. You know what I mean? So I haven't really yeah. had that much time to do like fun stuff. Um, so. Yeah, no, not like not. I've have really had time for any <laughs> friends, not just Curtis. But no, I would definitely say like uh, 
yeah, we're friends. Like, it's it's kind of funny, but though, like, if uh, like if you guys came up here, we would talk about farming stuff. You know what I mean? And we would do a podcast. Like, we would do like all the same things. So it's like it's like you're friends, but you're working. It's like like I feel like I'm friends with you guys. I feel like I'm friends with Curtis. I feel like I'm friends with Drew. Yep. Um, like it's it's all it's like I don't know business friendships, but it, you know what I'm saying? I was just curious. Um, if you ever think about it, and y'all shooting the today. Tell him that there's some dude in Dallas that he changed his life. <laughs> Deal. I'm, I'm dead serious because if I, I ever met him, that's that's what I would tell him. Because if I never found his YouTube videos, I'd be stuck in school, hating life every day and counting the days down until summer. And and now I don't do that because I get to go to my farm and do what I wanted to do. And I never would have realized that's what I wanted to do if I had not found his stuff on YouTube. And I, people that that give away the shit freely he has. You know, and putting the time and the effort deserves to know that he is like, you know, changing people's lives for the better. Yeah, I feel I feel very similar, very similar about that. Yeah. So just let him know for me. I will. And I'm I'm glad that I get to talk to you two guys too because it's been a lot of fun. I mean, Scott, you were like my first interview, really. I think way back when. So it's yep. been a it's been a long road. So it's it, but it's been a lot of fun, and we're we're gaining a lot of momentum here. And before I jump on a soapbox again, Scott, do you have anything to kind of wrap up? Or uh, no, just uh, thank you for your time. Um, yeah. I really like following Michael on um, Instagram, and I enjoy our conversations on here. It was nice to talk to him live for the first time. So yeah. that was kind of neat. Um, I think that I think that, Michael. I think that um, I think that sometimes when you speak. You talk like you talk up about everyone else in the market gardening community. Like you talk up about Curtis, you talk up about me, you talk up about like these other guys. But I think that you're a lot. Um, I think that you're a lot farther ahead than you think that you are. Like from an outside perspective, uh, you're doing pretty well, man. Like especially considering your situation. Like you got a job, you got three kids. You know, you're doing all this other stuff. And I think that um, I think that you should just. Uh, have a little bit of confidence in yourself, like that you are making good choices and stuff. I appreciate that, bud. I really do. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. That's a great way to end right there. I really appreciate Like I said, thank you guys for being on the show. Love you guys to be on the show. And you guys have an open mic here anytime you want to plop on. And, and uh, you know, I wish the best for your seasons and that you guys make a lot, lot, lot of money. And, Me too. Uh, I sound like Donald Trump. I hope you make a lot, a lot of money. Uh, but, you know, this is a lot of fun. And I just, you know, yeah, I mean, if you guys came down here, we go down to Texas, we go up to to your neck of the woods there, Scott. I think we'd sit around the fire for like two minutes and then we'd probably be on a podcast with a beer in hand and having a lot of fun. So that's just, you know, totally. it's, fun to, it's fun to get together and do this kind of stuff. And, and I've made some really great relationships doing it this way, you know, over the Skypes and everything. But we'll, we'll be getting together together in the near future so somehow some way i'm sure we will so um thank you boys for being on the show this has been great yeah thanks for having us tom yeah yeah i enjoyed it guys all right well thank you gents and this is tom from small scale life remember to continue to learn do and grow thank you and have a good night